Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussions. I am Suzette Smith, the guest host on Mormon Discussions for today, and I'm very excited about the topic that we have. I'm sitting here with Rachel Hunt Steenblick, and we are going to be discussing the paper the church just came out with on Heavenly Mother. This is the 13th essay that the church has published. This is the most recent one. So we're going to walk through this essay, and we're going to talk about Heavenly Mother and talk about what the church has to say. I'm going to let uh, Rachel have the microphone and so she can introduce herself. And also, Rachel, if you can talk a little bit about how, what your scholarship is within Heavenly Mother. Thank you, Suzette, for having me. As she said, my name is Rachel Hunt Steenblick. I currently live in New Haven, Connecticut, but am a PhD student in philosophy of religion and theology at Claremont Graduate University in Claremont, California. There I study the philosopher Soren Kierkegaard as well as a few others, and uh, topics in Mormon woman history as well, and Mormon feminism specifically, and Heavenly Mother. And I also recently co-edited the book, Mormon Feminism Essential Writings, with Joanna Brooks and Hannah Wheelwright. But my background in Mother in Heaven goes back to the year that I graduated from Brigham Young University. My last semester there in 2008, I was archiving the correspondence of Hugh Nibley and his papers at BYU Special Collections. And then right after I graduated, one of my BYU philosophy professors, David Paulson, invited me to work for him as a full-time research assistant the summer before I started my graduate program, the Master's in Library Science. And he had received a grant from what was then the Women's Research Institute to, to do something on Heavenly Mother, to research her, to place her in Mormonism and our theology and what it meant to us to have this knowledge that we have. And so I was hired then, and I worked with my friend Martin Polito, and I worked with David, and I spent four months researching her for eight hours every day and doing a lot of reading and some amount of writing. And a lot of the sources and quotes that I found were able to help go into what has since become the BYU Studies article and whether there. Great. Thank you so much, Rachel. I, I just I want to say a couple of things in introduction. Uh, first of all, this is being recorded on November 22nd, which is only a couple of weeks since the policy change happened in the church. And so Rachel and I are both aware that there's a lot of sensitivities uh, within the, que- the queer community. And there's lots of LDS members who are struggling with that and trying to work through that. And we realize that in talking about Heavenly Mother, there sometimes seems to be points of doctrine that may uh, contradict uh, with some of our understandings about homosexual, our homosexual brothers and sisters. So we don't have the answers, but we want to just be mindful that those feelings and thoughts are out there in the world. Um, we're not going to be addressing them in this podcast, but we realize that that's a sensitivity. And um, so we don't want anything that we have to say to seem, to seem like we're ignoring that fact. Also for, for me as a Mormon feminist, I um as a Mormon feminist, I feel that there are a couple of things that need to happen in the Mormon church. So the perception and the reality of the spiritual power and authority that women have to be realized. And one of those things is knowing the mother. So when I saw this paper on Heavenly Mother, my heart just thrilled because I feel like knowing the mother is such an essential piece of our doctrine that we don't know much about that is now really starting to come forward and we're starting to talk about it. And that just makes my heart really happy. And I'm really excited to be going through this today. 
what we decided to do is just read through the essay, which is fairly short, and then largely it's going to be me reading and Rachel commenting, <laughs> but um, that's how we're going to work it. So let's get started. This is the first paragraph of the essay. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints teaches that all human beings, male and female, are beloved spirit children of heavenly parents, a heavenly father and a heavenly mother. This understanding is rooted in scriptural and prophetic teachings about the nature of God, our relationship to deity, and the godly potential of men and women. The doctrine of Heavenly Mother is a cherished and distinctive belief among Latter-day Saints. The two things that I have questions about in this paragraph, and Rachel, you can speak to whatever you want, but these are the two questions that I have is, one, what, is, what are these prophetic teachings and scriptures that this understanding is rooted in. There are footnotes, lots of footnotes in this essay, and they do list some scriptures, but anything else that you know of where this teaching comes from would be great to hear. And second, the paragraph mentions that this is the distinctive belief of Latter-day Saints. So I'd love to hear some comments on Latter-day Saints having this as a distinct doctrine. So when I read this, I was also curious about what, especially for me, what scriptures that they were referencing. Because for those who have read the core of our Mormon scriptures, including the New Testament and Old Testament, we don't we don't have explicit references to Mother in Heaven. But there were a few things that I thought it could be. And one of the footnotes that Suzette and I checked was, sure enough, the one in Doctrine and Covenants 132, where it talks about a woman and a man being sealed together in this marriage that's of God that that's how they can become gods and that's how they can progress and have children and exist in the eternities in this way that is godlike. And so if we say that what happens on earth is a pattern for what happens in heaven, then it does suggest that for God to be God, that he is exalted with a female, that's his counterpart, that's his equal, and that they couldn't be exalted without each other. And so that is one place that they footnote. And something else that I was curious about, because we have... And biblical scholarship, a lot of people who have done research on the divine feminine in general rather than the Mormon conception of the divine feminine, but they've, they've seen Heavenly Mother, they've seen this divine female being in so many places in scripture. And one of the most known is in this kind of proverb wisdom doctrine, where it's known that wisdom is generally a female pronoun when it's used in the scriptures and often what we would say capitalized that it shows like this person rather than just this characteristic and it talks their verses and proverbs about wisdom speaking to her children and talking to them as her children and telling them that they are and so we have so many different references where we could see a, a female god in these spaces but then one of the biggest researchers of this type of thinking is Margaret Barker, who's not LDS. But Fiona Givens has done quite similar work, and she's working on a few projects right now, where she also sees Heavenly Mother in so many scriptures, and she sees her in trees and in mountains and in birds, and in just so many different symbols that the biblical scholarship and scholars agree that she's there in these places. Yeah, can we talk a little bit about um, maybe Heavenly Mother being in the air or the breath? Oh, yes. So there's a scholar named Ryan Thomas who studied, he, he's LDS, and he studied at Harvard Divinity School, I believe, for his master's. And he's written a beautiful article that was published in Exponent 2 in the, the magazine, I believe in 2010, 
where he talks about this idea that also like the, what we know of is the Holy Ghost in scripture, or God's spirit, that it's often translated as God's breath. And he he's talking about how this, like there's some strong evidence that it could actually be referring to a title or a label for a female person, because it's also feminine, the word and the scriptures, what we know of as the Holy Ghost in the Bible. And so where God's breath could mean the one that God cannot live without. And so it could just be this name for this female deity that's God's counterpart. And so where it's, of course, I don't know if this is true, but it feels good. And at least it's something that's really interesting for me to think about. Susa also asked about it being a distinctive belief for us. And of course, we know that in Catholicism, that there is reverence for Mary and there are other faiths that have females that have this reverence or have a divine place in heaven. And I think that one of the things that makes the Mormon doctrine of Heavenly Mother so so distinctive is the fact that even though many Christian churches use use pronouns or gendered pronouns when they talk about deity, when they talk about God, like they'll refer to God as the he, that Mormons with our belief that God has a body and also that gender is eternal, that that makes us, when we use these male or female pronouns, like taking it very, very seriously and that we mean it in a different way than many others, that for them could be more metaphorical or literary, but for us it's very true, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, having a female deity has grown for me to be more and more important um, as I have grown, and I appreciate that Mormon doctrine so much. So let's carry on with the essay, and I'm going to read the second paragraph. While there is no record of a formal revelation to Joseph Smith on this doctrine, some early Latter-day Saint women's recall that he personally taught them about Mother in Heaven. The earliest published references to the doctrine appear shortly after Joseph Smith's death in 1844 in documents written by his close associates. The most notable expression of the idea is found in a poem by Eliza R. Snow entitled, Oh My Father. Actually, I read that wrong. It is entitled, My Father in Heaven. And now the hymn is known as, Oh My Father. This text declares, in heavens, are parents single? That's a question. No, the thought makes reason stare. Truth is reason, truth eternal, tells me I've a mother there. So so this paragraph seems to talk about sort of the early references and that Joseph Smith talked to at least his close associates about the idea of a mother in heaven or the doctrine of a mother in heaven. Um, So what can you tell us, Rachel, about some of these early conversations, early writings? What do we know about people in the early church and their belief in a heavenly mother? We like, like the article states, we don't have primary sources showing us that Joseph Smith taught this doctrine, but there's a lot of secondary and tertiary evidence that does suggest that it's probably the case. One of them is Eliza herself. We have a record where she was on this carriage ride with one of her friends, and in the carriage ride, the course of the conversation, she told the friend that, that Joseph Smith, that Joseph told her this doctrine and that she used her poetic gift to write it down in a poem that we know as the hymn that Suzette mentioned. Another one is referenced in the footnote in the essay, and it's Zina D. Huntington, I believe. Yeah, Zina Diantha Huntington Young. And she had lost her mother, her earthly mother, to death, and she was mourning. And Joseph visited her and comforted her, and she asked him if she would see her mother again. And he said, yes, and not only this, 
but you will also see your eternal mother who is in heaven. And so then she asks him, essentially, if she has an eternal mother there. And he says, yes, of course. And so those are some of the early references where they could be referring to when they say some Mormon woman recall this. But there also is a story that was recorded in a journal by Zebedee Coltrane, where he was with Sidney Rigdon and Joseph Smith in a woods. And Joseph asked them to close their eyes. And so they closed their eyes and they had this shared vision together where first they see the father and then they open their eyes and then they close their eyes again and see the father and the son. And they close their eyes one more time and the father and the son are added to Heavenly Mother. And so he sees all three of them see these beings sitting on the throne. And so from Joseph Smith's time, we have these records and these experiences that this was taught by Joseph Smith. It was known by him. And then when it says that that we do have records of it shortly after his death by some of his closest friends. One of those is W.W. Phelps, that while we often think of Eliza's poem as being one of the first instances, W.W. Phelps's hymn was actually published 10 months before her poem was written. And it was for the dedication of a building, I think that was for the 70s, but it has a line about the Eternal Mother in there as well. And so the fact that so many people that were so close to Joseph were teaching this doctrine, just it gave this impression that it was something that was well known, that was well discussed, that was really familiar to the people then. Great. And we know the doctrine has carried on since Joseph's time. And and the third paragraph in this essay actually talks about some of the other uh, prophets and uh, apostles today even that talk about having uh, a divine mother. So I'll just continue reading. Subsequent church leaders have affirmed the existence of mother in heaven. In 1909, the first presidency taught that all men and women are in similitude of the universal father and mother and are literally sons and daughters of deity. Susie Young Gates, a prominent leader in the church, wrote in 1920 that Joseph Smith's vision and teachings reveal that the truth <clears throat> revealed the truth that the divine mother is side by side with the divine father. And in The Family, a proclamation to the world issued in 1995, the First Presidency and Quorum of Twelve Apostles declared each person is a divine spirit or daughter of heavenly parents, and as such, each has a divine nature and destiny. So I just like that not only do we hear about it early in the church, but that this doctrine has continued. Uh, do you have anything you want to add to um What's what people have been saying today or even since Joseph's time about the doctrine of our mother? Yeah, I do. So when I was first researching this topic for BYU, even though I was about to start library science school, where I often think of librarians as being good researchers and knowing how to use these tools that we have, I actually wasn't a very good researcher at first, and I didn't know how to begin. So I used I just started at LDS.org, and I remember using the search function and typing in Heavenly Mother in quotes. And I think something like six to nine sources came up where there were talks or or lessons that said Heavenly Mother. And then I tried Mother in Heaven, or I tried Eternal Mother, and I tried these things. And maybe one or two more references would come up. And then I remember typing in Heavenly Parents, and there were hundreds. And it just was such a difference. But I... So, well, there was so much that was said about them together. It was trickier, at least on LDS.org at that time, to find sources that were explicitly referencing the mother. And so then I turned to Google, and that's, and then I stumbled upon so many Mormon feminist blogs, and that was actually my introduction to official Mormon feminism. 
But I remember going to a staff meeting and talking to my professor about this. And he said, well, have you tried Gospel Link, which was a database that I didn't know existed. And there they try to gather as many LDS sources as they can. And so when I typed in Heavenly Mother, there was something like 247 sources that explicitly referenced Heavenly Mother. Some of them were from general conference talks. Some of them were from scholarly book essays by people like Hugh Nibley. Some of them were poems. Some of them were from the Friends. Some of them were from all of these different places. And I read every single one of those sources that year and then also tried all the iterations like Eternal Mother, Mother in Heaven, and anything I could think of that would perhaps find something about our Eternal Mother. And so it was such a lovely summer to, and first it was so encouraging to see that there's so much more out there than I thought. And it was so nice too, because we we have W.W. Phelps and we have Eliza Arsenal, but there was also so many other early leaders that were talking about Heavenly Mother. And one of the things I found the most fascinating is that the way they talked about her was so normal, that often today when we bear a testimony over the pulpit on a fast Sunday, we might say something very simple like, I believe that Heavenly Father loves me, or I believe that Jesus Christ loves me or that they live. And so many of the early leaders would say similar things, but they would just add and include Heavenly Mother. They would say, I know that Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother love me, or I know that Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother live, or I believe these things. And so they just saw her as such a natural part of this plan, which was so encouraging to me because I think that she fits so well in with our doctrine and theology, and I think her place is there. And so to be able to talk about it and to see it there was so hopeful because it gave me more room as a woman in the church, both on earth and in heaven. And so some of the ways, like I said, were so normal, but two of my favorite quotes, one was by Orson F. Whitney, and it's actually still really quoted today in General Conference and BYU Devotionals and other places, but it talks about suffering and kind of that when we suffer, we can become more tender and more charitable and more like our father and mother in heaven. And so in all of the things that I've been researching lately, the two most quoted passages are that one by Orson F. Whitney and then the Family Proclamation. So the two things that we have most quotes of are that we're beloved by Heavenly Mother and that we can become like her, which I think is really encouraging. And then another that I love is by Rastus S. Snow, and he essentially says that there never has been a God and never will be a God that isn't a father and mother together. And so that also goes along really nicely with the Doctrine and Covenant scripture that we mentioned before. And then it gives place for any time that we see God in the scriptures or God to know that that Heavenly Mother is there too and that she's part of that same plan. And and that she's present in a way that feels really good to my soul. I just wanted to say that as a woman, um, thinking about Heavenly Mother just brings me up. It's hard to say how much it means to me to have a female deity, to be able to talk about a female deity, because I'm created in the image of God, which is a mother and a father. And I have a woman's body, and I'm created in the image of a woman's body. And that means a great deal to me. So the fact that these, you know, first three paragraphs of this essay just solidify that she is real, that she is a part of the plan and she's a part of me as a woman and she's a part of us as womankind is very meaningful. The next paragraph. I, sorry, oh, can I add? Yeah, so Suzette reminded me when she said she is created the image of Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother, that one of the other things that I came across so often and quotes that started fairly early, but also more modern quotes about Heavenly Mother, are that so many people who are presidents of our church have talked about how women are explicitly created in the image of their mother. Spencer W. Kimball was one of these people who said this, as well as Harold Beely, and I believe several others. But 
And they would often quote the scripture in Genesis as well, saying that we are made in the image of God, male and female, that we are created by them. And so they use this to say that women are created in the image of their mother and that they can inherit traits from her in a way that a son could also inherit traits from their mother. But so they're so beautiful. And one of the jobs that I did when I was researching for BYU studies or BYU is that I actually made a timeline because we wanted to look at when these quotes were being done. And Spencer W. Kimball talked about her, I think, in at least like over six conference talks, which when we think about how many talks he talked about Heavenly Father, it probably still seems so small, but that there was a period where it was talked about quite frequently. And one of the last references we had was in Court of Hinkley. And one of the quotes is in this essay later. But then we had just Jeffrey R. Holland say the phrase Mother in Heaven in his last conference talk. And that was the first time since 1991. So we've had... We've had a variety of times when it was used often and a variety of times where it hasn't, but I hope that we can return to talking about her more yes. often and hearing about her more often. And I think the essay flows naturally because the next paragraph is about Heavenly Mother's role and what maybe what is her work and what is her role, which is the question that I just naturally ask next, and that is, She's here, so what does she do? What is her role? How she plays into the plan? So I'll go ahead and read this, and then we can talk a little bit about what her work is. Prophets have taught that our heavenly parents work together for the salvation of the human family. We are part of a divine plan designed by heavenly parents who love us, taught Elder M. Russell Ballard of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. President Harold B. Lee stated, We forget that we have a heavenly father and a heavenly mother who are even more concerned probably than our earthly father and mother and that their influence from beyond are constantly working to try and help us in all we can do. Actually, let me read that again. Are trying to help us when we do all we can. That has a difference reference. But I think you mentioned earlier that it shows that heavenly mother had a part in creating us, but then also has a part in our earthly life. Like she has influence on us here. So if you wanted to speak to that. Yes. Suzette's questions are my questions too, because I, I also want to know what is her role in this creation or the salvation. And I feel like it's such a big question to know, does she create our spirits and nothing more? Or is she a creator in many more senses? And my own feeling is that she is a creator of many things but that I love the quotes that they chose here because first Ballard places her in the plan of salvation directly. And he says that she was also there with the father designing this plan for us and creating this, this thing that would bring us here and give us the bodies that we needed and experiences to become more like them. And then the second quote by Harold B. Lee, like Suzette mentioned that it says she's, that she's still here. So not only is Eliza, our snows statement correct that we have a mother there, but we have a mother here that has influence on us too. And so while I don't have answers of how that's true, and I wish I had answers to that too, it is comforting for me to think that she can be and that she is, and that she's present to you in a way that we might think of the Holy Ghost or Christ or Heavenly Father being present in our lives, to think that she also is concerned and cares. Not only that she's concerned and cares, but that she can do something. And so we, so I have other feelings too, and just hopes for what, what or who she might be. And I feel like... If we say or want to say that she's on par with the father and that they're equal partners, which is something that I do want very much to be true, as well as to say that I think 
she has, she has to be there and she has to be in the thick of it in the way that Christ and the Father are also working for our salvation and our exaltation. They say this is the work to bring to pass the mortality and eternal life of human beings. That I think that this is also her work and that she's has effort towards this and is present with us. And one of my closest friends from BYU is a midwife. And one of the reasons she became a midwife is because of this history that the Mormon church has of calling midwives as church callings and setting them apart to heal and to bless, to use their hands and to, to heal the women that were in labor. And even now, as she is doing this work for women and serving her sisters and her community, every single time she feels the mother's presence. And so she said it's easy to be woken up at four in the morning and to go to a birth because no matter how tired she is, she knows she will feel the mother there. And so listening to her experiences is so holy to me. And then I've I've had other people that I trust and that have researched Heavenly Mother even more than myself say that they also have the same sense that she's always with mothers. And so I do think that she is with mothers and it's one of her roles that it's not her only role either. And Suzette has some really beautiful ideas too about some of those other places where she is. Yeah. I guess I should say that we don't know where she is for sure. And it's not in church doctrine, but these are our speculations and what resonates with our hearts. And I definitely love the idea that she attends every birth of her spirit children as they come to this earth. But I've often thought if heavenly mother is anywhere, she is with the most vulnerable and the most hurting um, of all of her children. So I imagine that she is in the darkest places where um, humans have the most suffering. And I guess I just always imagine that an earthly mother would go into the darkest places to be with her child. And so I imagine that that is what Heavenly Mother does. And that <clears throat> when people on this earth are hurting each other or when they are just hurting, that she's there because like Rachel said, she's in the thick of it. She works with Heavenly Father. She works with her son, Christ, and they all work together for the salvation of humans. And so to comfort people who are in really dark places and really feeling vulnerable, I can only imagine that a mother would be there. So that's my speculation on where her influence is, is as a comfort um, to people who are hurting, but also influencing her children to try and make better choices and to be kind and giving to each other. I I think the comfort resonates with me a lot too, that if she's not the comforter <clears throat> or the God's breath, God's spirit that we talked about before, that I think she's a comforter and that she's in those places that Suzette said, the places where she, where a mother is most needed to, to, to do the things that she can do. And I also think that the wisdom idea also, it also really resonates with me. And so I think anytime there's a search for wisdom or for knowledge or for truth, she's there too. And she's part of this desire to learn and to grow. And that when there is the searching and the reaching for those beautiful attributes that I think that do make us more godlike, that she's with us and encouraging these things. And she's present in those searches and in our questions. I just wanted to add a little something about um, Heavenly Mother being wisdom. And this is an idea that I got from Fiona Givens when I heard her speak. And she was talking about Eve in the Garden of Eden and talking about Eve when Eve was trying to make the choice. And she had the fruit presented to her. And she was thinking, is this, should I eat of the fruit? Should I not? And one of the things that appealed to her about the fruit was that it would give her wisdom. 
And, um, it's Fiona's idea and one that resonates with me that Eve was really reflecting her mother and emulating her mother as she made this choice and that she was searching for wisdom and that she made this choice in part to grow in wisdom. And I agree with you, Rachel, that every time women or men, sons and daughters of God are looking for wisdom and trying to understand and trying to search out that she is there blessing that search and making it sanctified and holy. Anything else before we move on to the next? There's only a couple more paragraphs. So this uh, second to last paragraph talks about um, prayers to mothers or the not prayers to the mother. Latter-day Saints direct their worship to Heavenly Father in the name of Christ and do not pray to Heavenly Mother. In this, they follow the pattern set by Jesus Christ, who taught his disciples to always pray unto the Father in my name. Latter-day Saints are taught to pray to Heavenly Father, but as Gordon B. Hinckley said, the fact that we do not pray to our mother in heaven is in no way belittles or denigrates her. Indeed, as Elder Rucker Clausen wrote, we honor women when we acknowledge Godhood in her eternal prototype. This last sentence we're going to talk about a little bit, but before we go there, I just, the question I have, which is the question to the universe, as well as is the question to Rachel, and that is, if we don't pray to our mother in heaven, how do we know her? Because in many ways, I feel like we come to know God through our prayers. We come to know our father, not only through his son, Jesus Christ, and and their commonalities, but through praying. So how is it that we know our mother? And then, of course, there's this quote at the end, which I'm just not sure what to make of. So please comment, Rachel. And that is, we honor women when we acknowledge Godhood in her, in her eternal prototype. Suzette's question to the universe is my question to the universe, too. I told her this is a question that has been in my soul ever since I first started researching Heavenly Mother in 2008 and something that has stayed with me ever since then. And so I wondered for a long time if one of the ways was praying about her, praying to, to know her and in those ways. But I also wonder now, especially with Suzette's beautiful comments that that she first learned from Fiona Gibbons and Fiona's idea that Eve was emulating her mother and the search for wisdom and accepting this fruit and making this brave choice to go forward. That I wonder if when we are searching for wisdom and searching for truth, that that's that the way that we say we know Christ when we serve others and so I wonder if it's the same pattern that when we are ourselves serving the most vulnerable and being a comforter in that way, that that's how we can be, can start to know Heavenly Mother. And when we do engage in searches for wisdom, that we can be close to her that way too. And part of me feels like that's a good good start, but I don't know if it's enough because I I want really, really direct connection with her in a way that we feel like we can receive with Heavenly Father in this communication, this talk that feels so natural to have with parents or with close people to us that I would want with a mother as well. And the sentence about Latter-day Saints not praying to her was interesting to me just because I know people who do. And so while I think the number and the percentage is probably small, there are Latter-day Saints who feel called upon in their own conscience or their own soul to reach out to her and have felt her reach out to them in return. And they feel like as their heart has turned to their mother, that their mother's heart has turned to them. And that they've been blessed by this. And some of them have directed prayers explicitly to Heavenly Mother. Others have prayed to God and envisioning or imagining both. And so there are many ways of being Latter-day Saints and many ways of thinking about this. 
but it is correct that as Gordon Bingley said that it's been suggested that we not pray to her. And so it leaves that big question open of what we do instead and how we fill in those gaps, especially if we have those leanings or those urgings to talk with her. And the last sentence was so curious to me when I read it to you, because right after saying that we don't pray to Heavenly Mother, we shouldn't pray to Heavenly Mother, it says, but we honor woman when we acknowledge Godhood and her eternal prototype. And so while Gordon Bingley says we don't worship her in the way that we worship the Father or even the Son, that there's this honor. So I wonder the relationship between honor and worship. But then also there's the phrase Godhood and it's capitalized and saying her, so Heavenly Mother's eternal prototype. And so I wonder then if another question is what is Heavenly Mother's relationship to the Godhood? Is it what I've what I've discussed and that Erastus Snow also surmised that wherever there's God, there's both the Father and the Mother. So is it God the Father and God the Mother together is one and then Christ and the Holy Ghost? Or as some others have asked, including including Fiona, including other biblical researchers, including Margaret Toscano and Janice Howard and others, could the Holy Ghost be Heavenly Mother? And so I don't have the answers to that either, but there, I just have the questions and even some speculations that I that I wonder and think myself. But I'm, I'm not really sure what what the sentence is even trying to say or what it could say. But I appreciate that it acknowledges that there is that she is part of Godhood, that Godhood is part of her. But I just want to know what that means. And if she is if she is God or is a God to us or is our godly mother, then why don't we worship her or pray to her? And those questions for me are left open. Yeah. Well, we might have more questions in this podcast than we have answers, but I think it's uh, really interesting to think about it and discuss it. Let's wrap up by reading this last paragraph, and it reads, As with many other truths of the gospel, our present knowledge of a mother in heaven is limited. Nevertheless, we have been given sufficient knowledge to appreciate the sacredness of this doctrine and to comprehend the divine pattern established for us as children of heavenly parents. Latter-day Saints believe that this pattern is reflected in Paul's statement that neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. Men and women cannot be exalted without each other. Just as we have a father in heaven, we have a mother in heaven. As Elder Dallin H. Oaks of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles said, our theology begins with heavenly parents. Our highest aspiration is to be like them. So this It brings up a couple of questions, and I'll just start with this first one that Rachel pointed out earlier. In the middle of the paragraph, it basically says that we can appreciate the doctrine, but it also says that we can comprehend it. And Rachel's not so sure that that's true. So do you want to comment on that? Yeah. So I, I, pardon me when I read this, this last paragraph where it says, where first of all, it acknowledges that we don't know everything about Heavenly Mother. And it, it says that this is like many gospel truths or many principles that we have that we just right now, basically, we know in part, we see through a glass darkly. And so there's something that feels good, good about this to me, that this acknowledgement that we don't have everything that there is to have and that what we have is so little. But I think because of the years of research I've done and knowing that there is more out there that does talk more explicitly about what her roles are or where her place is in the godhood and just different things that general authorities have said over time that I feel like this essay itself could have been longer and could have given us a little bit more information or revealed truths that we have received. And I also think that there's more that we can search for ourselves too, whether that we can find if we look for it, whether by finding reading the scriptures and looking for where she could possibly be there or just in our own lives and in our own service 
in relationship. But then when I read the second part of this idea that we don't have everything, but we have sufficient knowledge, we have enough to appreciate the sacredness of that doctrine. That part I definitely agree with, that we have enough to know that it's great that there's a mother there, that this is soothing to the souls of many, including myself. But then when it continues and says, we also have enough, we have sufficient knowledge to comprehend the divine pattern established for us as children of heavenly parents. That's the part that I'm not so sure because while my soul is comforted by the knowledge that she's there in heaven and that she may possibly be with us here and that her influence is here, I still feel hungry and I still feel like I don't have enough to know that pattern that they're saying I have enough to know. And so much of this for me goes back to some of Joseph Smith's words that he gave first in the King Fall Discourse, where he quotes John 17, 3, and he says, this is life eternal to know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, who knows sent. So he, he emphasizes that the way that we are saved is by our knowledge, and it's specifically our knowledge of God. And then he also pairs this with his other famous words, where he says that man cannot comprehend himself if he doesn't comprehend God. And I know that I'm not saying the quote exactly, but this idea that we need to know God to know ourselves. And so when I think about these things together as a woman, I think how, so this doesn't become just a matter of identity for me, because it might start there that to know myself, I need to know God is female. And I need to know this female being that I'm created in the image of and that I can possibly become like, but that it also becomes a matter of salvation, that if the way I'm saved is knowledge, of this of this being, then I need to know her. And so it becomes a really real matter to me to know this. And it's something that is throbbing in my soul. And I know others who feel the same hunger. And one of my co-editors of the Mormon Feminism Anthology, Hannah Wilray, also talked about how one of one of when she started having big questions about her faith, that it started by reading the Eve and Adam story. And it started about thinking about Heavenly Mother's place in heaven and realizing that she didn't know what what it meant to become like Heavenly Mother. She didn't know what it meant to try to follow this pattern or this role because she didn't feel like she was given the pattern. And Suzette, in our discussion before um, our discussion before we started recording, she mentioned that we, we don't know everything about Heavenly Father either, but that because of Christ, we might know a little bit more. But, we, but I guess it's possible that also Christ shows us what the Mother does, that maybe it's really similar. But I have friends that have questions like, is heaven eternal baby-making? And if it is, that's not inspiring to them. That's not worthy of reaching for this highest place. That it doesn't feel very heavenly to them. And so right now where that question is left open and we don't know what that means, I guess. And where there are hints in some of the quotes that we read earlier that Heavenly Mother was there in the plan of salvation and designing. And she was, she is, was and is here in our lives. But I still have that knowledge to have more. And I have that knowledge to have more to know myself, but then also for that salvation that I long for. And then there is the other hand where I think that part of it is that to know Heavenly Mother, I can also try to know myself first, too, that I think it does slightly go both ways, that I can know myself and other women in my life and my mother and my daughter and my sisters, and that by coming to know them, that I can possibly get hints of the mother, too, that I can see her reflected in them. So I'm doing what I can to try to find her with the, with what I have, basically. So I'm not giving up by any means, but but this question, again, is still left open for me, that I don't know if I have sufficient knowledge to know what this pattern, and it's a pattern that I want to follow, and I long to follow this pattern to be like her. And so I'm hungry for this knowledge. And again, I have friends who, 
who where I expressed that I wish that this essay was a little bit longer, they were grateful that it was the length that it was because they would rather this search be personal and for themselves and for it to be revealed to them than for, than basically for our leaders to hand them to it or to hand the revelation to them, I guess, in a way that they, they're nervous of what possibly could be, I don't know how to word this right, but that they're nervous that she'll just be so gendered and so 1950s housewife that it won't <laughs> be the mother that they know. And so they're happy that it's left open. And so I can see both sides too, but I definitely have lots and lots of thoughts and feelings about this. Yeah. Um, I'm really glad that you brought up the scriptures and the statements of Joseph Smith that talk about we are saved when we know God. And what does it mean to know God, the father and the mother? And like you, Rachel, I've done lots of thinking about how can I know my mother? And one of the things that I come back to is creation, just all kinds of creation. And probably Elder Uchtdorf, I think, gave the most powerful talk on creation uh, several years ago when he spoke in the general women's session about creating and not just creating life, although that's important, of course, but just creating all kinds of things, creating music, creating scholarship, creating podcasts, <laughs> creating um, art and all kinds of things. And when I go to the temple, I think it's very interesting that about one third of what we learn in our endowment is about the creation of this earth and all the parts of the earth. And it's just a huge piece of this um, ordinance is learning about the creation. And I have to believe or just resonate so much with me that, that the mother and that the daughters were involved in the creation, in the creation of all things. Um, in the temple, we only hear the voices of men and we only see men um, being a part of creation. But after reading this, and it just talks so much about how there's a partnership between men and women that I have to believe that the mother was a huge part of that creation and that the daughters are a big part of that creation. And that makes me think, what what gifts do I have? How can I create? And as I create things in this earth with the talents that I've been given, do I know my mother better? So those are just some um, ideas that we have. I'll have one more thought on this paragraph before we before we wrap up. And this is a, a part that makes me both really hopeful and a little bit sad. And it's when it talks about men and women cannot be exalted without each other. And it talks about this eternal plan that men and women go together. I am a single woman on this earth, and it's likely that I probably will be. And so I'm going to be journeying on this earth as a single person without a partner. And I'm, sometimes I wonder, what does that mean for my exaltation? Many people are quick to say, in the next life, this will happen or that will happen. And we don't know what will happen in the next life. But I know that in this life, I'm going to be journeying uh, solo, at least solo when it comes to having an exclusive partner. Although I have many partners and friends and groups of people who I feel like I associate with and I, um, and I serve with. And then that makes me wonder about, um, my gay and lesbian friends and saints. It makes me wonder about couples who are trying to bring children into this world. It makes me wonder about, um, men and women who are raising children on their own and that none of us, none of those groups of people are sort of journeying in this earth as a man and a woman together. And so what I do know is that immortality, we don't all journey together as a man and a woman. 
And I'm not sure what that means for the eternities, but what I think it means for this earth life is that everyone is essential and everyone is meant to be here as part of this plan that we all have something to teach each other about God, about Heavenly Mother, about Heavenly Father, because of the crosses that we bear, because of the journeys that we have on our own, maybe in the margins, maybe in the mainstream, maybe back and forth between the two. But um, that's just a little comment that I have about sort of men and women um, being exalted together. I don't know the answers to all of it, but I do know that this earth life doesn't always look just like heaven might. So any other thoughts you want to share about that or about Heavenly Mother before we wrap up for tonight? I'll just add an amen to Suzette's beautiful reflections that I don't have the answers there either. But I think the contributions of every human being on this earth is so valuable and so valid. And like she said, teaches us something about God and is a revelation in itself. And that the creation and the contributions are so real and add to this beautiful mosaic that is the world and the relationships between each other that web. And I love Joseph Smith's vision of ceilings, not as much the polygamy part of that that started in Avu and perhaps earlier or definitely earlier, but his vision of ceilings is this big human family and this big human web where we're tied together and that the relationships we have with each other matter and they are lasting. And so I feel like that is one of the things that I see in, in the, even the relationship between Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother, that it's a, this relationship that matters and that lasts and that that the care and love that they have for us also lasts and that we are tied to them and they are tied to us and we're tied to each other in many, many different ways. Like Suzette said, that she goes through life not with one sole partner, with so many partners and people who care about her and that she cares about. And so, so much of my journey to try to learn about Heavenly Mothers just felt like this searching even more than receiving answers. But I feel like there's something really beautiful in that journey of reaching and that that there have been small moments where I felt her reaching back and searching for me too. And that I think she's close. There have been, it's been interesting after I gave birth to my daughter two years ago, because I wondered if it would help me know the mother more, to see her more, to understand her more. And I'm not, I don't think that the, I think it's just like any different experience you have in life, that if you're a skier, you'll learn lessons while you're skiing. Or if you're, you are an artist, you'll learn lessons while you're creating art. But so I don't think that a mother is the only way I could have learned these things, but it's one way that I have learned. And there was just one day where I was taking a shower and my daughter was just on the other side of the curtain and I was trying to have a few moments of peace by myself. And she, she was crying and she was calling my name. And I just said to her, I'm so close. And I was just on the other side of essentially this veil. And then I felt so strongly in my heart, like Heavenly Mother saying the same thing back to us. I'm so close. And she's just there on this other side that we can't see. And so where sometimes it can feel so distant that sometimes just this desire to be close to her is enough. But then sometimes I do get these like little bits of grace or this little bits of light that I, I feel that she's present and that she's, that she's part of this web that we have together on earth and that she's part of She's one of these people who cares about me and one of these people who's working for my good. I mentioned earlier that I felt just a little bit of sorrow about the length of this essay because I feel like this topic is so valuable and so rich and so important for so many. And so while I feel this way about it, I also have friends that I know feel differently, that they're grateful that I was brief and grateful that this doctrine is still left open and that it wasn't handed to us to say, this is exactly what Heavenly Mother's role is. This is exactly what she does not our life and that they are grateful 
that they can search for themselves and use personal revelation to find her rather than those in leadership positions laying out something for them that may or may not resonate with what they found for themselves and that they're really grateful that it's still open for them. Uh, thank you for your comments and thank you so much for being here and having this conversation. I just uh, wanted to wrap up saying that I hope all of the listeners uh, to this podcast will feel inspired to pick up the essay that's on LDS.org, uh, to read it, to think about Heavenly Mother, what she means, and to try and answer some of these questions for themselves, and that hopefully we've given you some ideas of questions you can ask and wisdom that you can seek. And I'll conclude by saying that I'm grateful for the doctrine of Heavenly Mother And even in these troubled times, I'm grateful for the Church of Jesus Christ and the foundation that has given me in my life um, for so many of these beautiful doctrines and for all the people like Rachel and others that have come into my life because of the church and helped me on this journey. And I will go forward in faith, and I hope that the listeners will find their way forward in faith as well. Good night. Let's go.